really grinding at it and um, I did this a couple of years ago and my first match online that I was playing in I got like and I was training for a long time mm -hmm. playing in the hours at the gym and yeah some Japanese kid just like destroyed me in Pokemon and I just stopped playing for years yeah that can happen if you suffer a serious loss like that you know it's like Rocky mm -hmm. I'm assuming I've never seen any Rocky films. I'm sure Rocky by now has covered all the fighter athlete movie trope. Yeah. So that's probably in there somewhere. It must be. No, I, yeah, I played for like a week, just like hours and hours a day and finished the game, stopped dead. Uh, so I binged it and now I'm, I'm moving on again. Uh, so you're, you're in a pokey hangover. Exactly. Oh, I getcha, I getcha. Well. I guess that's it for our Pokemon Hangover Hour. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the second time we've done a Pokemon podcast. We need to we need to watch out for that. Yeah, uh, we need to syndicate it, whatever that means. I'm not sure. Uh, we need to synergize it. Ah, synergize. Good. <laughs> that brings us to our B side production. B positive. The, the positive, positive B movie, B -movie podcast. podcast. Yes. Yeah, you've heard it around. From people, right? I've I've heard of it. I listened to it actually for hours on end. I, <laughs> I listen to it sometimes. I'm referring to editing, so more of I'm forced to listen to yeah. hours of us talking. It's like your very own personal uh, hellscape, isn't it? Yeah. I'm Fraser. I'm Louis. And and today we're doing Hellraiser Inferno. Uh, today, today we're. <laughs> Hellraiser Inferno. <laughs> Let's really get into Hellraiser Inferno. This is the uh, fifth installment of the Hellraiser series. And it's also the first one that went direct to VHS. Wow. Yeah, which is the best place to go directly to. I mean, I myself wish to be interred in a VHS cassette. I'll, I'll be sure to make a note of that. I think we did just make a note of it. Putting it on the internet. Yeah, that's it's legally binding now. I hope you realize that. Uh, oh, no. I was planning on being becoming immortal, sort of like Pinhead, who uh, most of you will know as the iconic leader of a race. Mm. I don't know. A bunch of these critters called Cenobites are main villains throughout the Hellraiser franchise. I mean, it's a little weird that they hold such a central place in the Hellraiser aesthetic and how we remember it, when the yeah. Cenobites don't really show up that much in the films. Yeah, almost never. Yeah, Pinhead, I mean, he's hardly in the first film. And he's also hardly in this film. Unless you count all the appearances of the Engineer, which is just like a skin face guy no no eyes yeah no nose just skin face he's pretty creepy i uh, yeah i've always found the cenobites to be uh, especially scary guys i think maybe it has something to do with their uh sexualization of torment oh uh, absolutely absolutely yeah and the fact that they're all bald and some of them are really shiny they look kind of wet yeah. And then you wonder, what are they wet with? Yeah, well, how did they get that wet? <laughs> yeah. They're also always wearing, you know, leather and PVC and, you know, kind of bondage gear. Yeah. They're usually quite awfully 
mutilated. They seem to be finding themselves in quite a predicament all the time because their suits actually add to their torture. They're being mutilated by the clothing they wear. And I mean, that's, I think, the primary focus of the Hellraiser series interpretation of horror is that very extreme blurring of the line between pleasure and pain. Yeah. (laughs) Did did I say that weird? No, no, no. You said that and then you kind of, you squint at me and it just made me feel weird. (laughs) That's the idea. With what you were saying. (laughs) I'm going to be a Cenobite, but I'm only going to squint and have some nipple clamps. The squinter. Ah, clampy. (laughs) So... The Cenobites are all about pleasure and also all about pain. And to them, it's kind of the same thing. They live in a realm that they often refer to as hell. In the first movie, Pinhead says that they are neither angels nor demons, but they have been called both those in the past, depending on who you are, what you want from your afterlife. Yeah, I find it a little bit difficult to believe that people would honestly be calling them angels yeah it's a stretch but you can imagine some weird people i mean i i imagine weird people yeah like people who kind of like pain and i don't know not that i'm judging and i'm not king shaming you guys yeah let's not yuck anyone's yum but i personally don't like being cut like i got a cut in my hand the other day and it was so bad no no Um, orgasm not even a little one oh no What's the point then? I don't know. So I'm not going to go searching for the lament configuration, which is the Cenobite's primary way into Earth. Yes. It's this little puzzle box and you solve it by, I don't know what you do to it, because in all the movies, something different kind of happens and then it just comes pops out and becomes this thing and then then you're screwed. <laughs> but that pretty much opens a gateway into Pinhead's yeah. realm. It doesn't seem like it needs a lot of solving. No. It kind of solves itself. It seems like a bit of a trap. Yes. Strangely to me, this whole movie and the whole premise of having this lament configuration, and if you can solve this little box, you sort of end up with access to these things, these... uh Cenobites, which I personally, I wouldn't call them demons because they used to be people, apparently, who went down there to become Cenobites because they like that kind of thing. They're just really, really, really into goth music. Yeah, I wonder what kind of music they play there. Evanescence. They listen to a lot of Evanescence. Wake me up! Wake me up inside! <laughs> Can't wake I up. love Evanescence. I'm a, I'm a big Evanescence fan. Well, I used to be, but it made me too sad. That's it. That's the thing, man. That you listen to a lot of Evanescence, you get really sad. And then you, you go into the hell dimension to get your face squished by a bunch of barbed wire. To each their own, I guess. <laughs> so... By solving the puzzle, not everyone that solves the puzzle is seeking to become one of Pinhead's uh, torture dolls. No. So in that way, it's sort of... And because the the Cenobites get uh, sexual pleasure out of, out of mutilating these people, I would call that the whole lament configuration is someone was asking for sexual assault. And I do not morally agree... With the Cenobites and their predatory behavior. No, well, Brave Stance, Fraser <laughs> Toy, 2020, yep. n- not keen 
on unsexualized torture. It's very brave of yeah. you, Fraser. Yeah, thank you. But the Cenobites are not the only sexual predators attached to this movie. No. Did you know that Harvey Weinstein was the executive producer Ooh. of Hellraiser Inferno? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. That makes a, a, a pretty gross movie uh, just a little bit more greasy. Yeah. What I found interesting is that this script was originally not Hellraiser related at all. And yes, the production company decided to make it a Hellraiser thing to get an audience. So do you think Harvey Weinstein was behind that little piece of trickery? It's possible. That might be the worst thing he's I, ever done. Yeah, because this would have been <laughs> a very good movie without the Cenobites, actually. Don't just roll over that. Stop me. No, it's not the worst thing he's ever done. I'm trying to not not acknowledge it. Just pretend <laughs> it never happened. No, it's uh, it's in the it's among the worst things he's ever done, but not the worst. This episode brought to you by vague and or misunderstood philosophy, academic rigor. Who needs it? Intellectual honesty overrated. Conceptual cohesion? <laughs> For your vague and or misunderstood philosophy, just show up high to all your undergrad humanities classes. I kind of can't believe that you trivialized Harvey Weinstein's I know. It, sexual assault. It was bad. It's fake news. Hashtag fake news. Alex Jones. I think the movie would have been better without the Hellraiser thing. Just focusing on that detective chasing down the mm. engineer. Yeah, I mean, it does feel a little forced. And, um, you know, I was just expecting a lot more creepy BDSM Cenobite action. Well, we do get some very creepy Cenobite action. We do. Where the detective meets the twins. But maybe we should do a plot synopsis quickly before yeah. we get into a discussion. I'm going to try and get through it, see how quickly I can do it. All right. Okay, this is going for the B-positive record for quickest plot synopsis. Three, two, one. Okay, so our main guy is a detective called Joseph Thorne, or Joe Thorne, and he's your classic bad cop. He's a cocaine user, he's a cheater, mm -hmm. he's, a, you know, he roughs yes. up suspects, he does all of these kind of Big time. morally gray things that we expect from a crooked cop. His partner is Tony Nanonen, which is an hilarious <laughs> name, Tony Nanonen. Palindrome. They come upon a case of a guy who's apparently literally been ripped to shreds. Like he's just a puddle on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and at this uh -oh. crime scene, Joseph finds the lament configuration and he tells us that he's always loved solving a puzzle, but he's not gonna love solving this puzzle. Yeah. So this uh, is clearly some kind of ritualistic killing and it puts him onto the path of the engineer. But before he can continue working on the case, he needs to have some hot steamy loving with a prostitute and he does that, I guess. And the next morning, leaves mm -hmm. her sleeping in the bed when in the office he gets a call from her and she gets murdered on the other side of the line. And he rushes over to find her dead, hanging uh, in the shower with a slit throat. 
horrible but not surprising. We kind of knew that was coming. But uh, from yeah. here on in, things get increasingly nightmarish and nonsensical for Joe. He starts having delusions. He sees Cenobites in his dreams. He sees Cenobites in the faces of others. All the while, yeah. he's trying to track down this engineer guy. He... Uh, you know, relies upon his, I guess, pedophile, drug dealing, ice cream man informant, which is a lot of titles yes. to have. He's a busy guy. It is. And it's the kind of titles that you don't want mixed. Yeah, you really, really, really don't want those things put together. But anyway, this guy tells him a little bit more about the engineer that if you hunt him, he will hunt you and anyone who has shown even the remotest bit of interest in the engineer has been found dead. Yep. He continues dealing with these delusions. He uh, has to start going to therapy. He even at one point mm -hmm. tries, he kind of frames his partner up for the murder of the prostitute so that his partner yeah. can't snitch on him. His informant shows up dead. Then yes, he gets a call to go visit his parents, and they yeah. get killed. Then he gets a call to go to another place, and he sees his partner getting killed. He should stop following these calls. Yeah, he really should get some caller ID. Yeah. And then he finally goes home to find his, his wife and child dead, frozen, tied to this strange turning wooden edifice thing. And it's revealed yes. that the police psychiatrist is in fact the engineer and Penhead himself. The Penhead. Yeah. What, what a twist. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, worst episode of Scooby-Doo ever. <laughs> Let's see who's under the psychiatrist mask. It's Penhead. How did I miss the pins? So at that point, he kind of enters the worst nightmare world we've seen so far he it's this really disjointed disorienting nightmare in which he has to essentially kill everyone he loves because they've been turned into not not xenobites themselves but mutilated versions of themselves who are trying to kill him yeah basically just the victims of the xenobites exactly and um then finally he makes it through the nightmare, he kills everyone, only to find the child whose fingers have been left at the crime scenes. The child is him, as a child. Bigger twist. Double twist. Double twist. And then coming in with the triple twist, it's revealed that the eyeless oh, monster guy is also actually him. He's been the killer and the detective and the victim all along wow this is actually a highly convoluted movie wow yeah, yeah just it really is. it all out it made so much sense while i was watching it. it was very very straightforward very structured so basically this film is a allegoric tale of morality in that mm. joe thorne is a bad cop if he were a lieutenant he, he'd be a bad I would one be worried he'd be. he would be a bad one uh, at the moment, he's a bad captain. I think he's a captain. Whatever. So, <laughs> I kind of wish he was played by Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I think that might have just taken this movie, you know, over the edge. From VHS to mainstream release. Yeah. Or, well, okay, let's, you know, aim a little lower. 
Maybe cable. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I absolutely agree with what you just said. Essentially, you know, the year 2000 version of a medieval morality play. Yes. And for those of you not entirely familiar with medieval theater traditions, the morality play is is a genre that developed out of the mystery play, which is about usually about the life of Jesus or the life of some or other saint. And the morality play is a more secular version, while it's, you know, it's still deeply rooted in the religious ideas of Catholicism. It focuses on a human person rather than a saintly or godly person. And usually these are very, very kind of on the nose allegorical tales, like the character will meet someone called Greed and then have to defeat Greed or, you know, his best friend is good deeds yeah yeah and his his buddy good deeds helps him to get into heaven that kind of thing yeah so i found that quite curious in this film just considering you know the pains that i feel the first film went to to kind of separate the cenobites and the whole hellraiser hellscape from traditional christian theology on that subject well from pretty much all abrahamic theology because they they basically share a hell they all share a god their stories of of a hell are very similar yeah no absolutely but i guess, yeah that might be just some confusion in in kind of how the characters were developed because a lot of the costumes also look uh like kind of kinky bdsm versions of catholic vestments yes some of their torture devices like the the hooky whip remind of some like self-castigating instrument especially with the line of penhead saying that they have been called angels and they have been called demons that does separate you from abrahamic traditions especially because the angels and demons are very very integral to those religions yeah i find it interesting that in the end penhead who's who's supposedly this kind of personification of hedonistic sadomasochism that he becomes a kind of moral arbiter at the very end he's kind of yeah laying down judgment on joseph saying that he's uh, or his his flesh side his evil side has progressively murdered his childlike innocent side yeah which i I feel like maybe maybe pinhead didn't have to spell it out exactly yeah it was a little bit condescending expecting your audience not to get it yeah i think for a franchise with a fan base as large as hellraiser it's best to be clear when Mm. you're being when you're saying something otherwise the fans will always argue about it they'll be like oh it means this and then you'll get some obscure argument from somewhere else and i spent a bit of time on the hellraiser fandom page and i read up about the two xenobites we see tormenting joe the uh wire twins now the wire twins they look a little bit off mm. paint paint the picture with your words so the wire twins are not entirely human in shape although they are very scantily clad uh female mm-hmm. cenobites with sort of a misshapen head yeah it's like a, a very l- 
like an oversized face. And they've got wires attached to their head coming down to their shoulder pieces. And it all looks very uncomfortable. Especially the outfits. The outfits also leave their stomach exposed. And their stomach has been splayed apart with hooks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The skin flaps being pulled back, which is not nice. And they have these long, snaky, oily-looking tongues that come out and are used to both torment and pleasure their victims. And their victim being... Joe Thorne. I was very uncomfortable with what they did to him as well. Absolutely. It's uh, in his very first nightmare hallucination, I guess his entrance into the hellscape world. Yeah. Where he wakes up in the motel bathroom, having solved the puzzle, and walks out into his childhood home. Mm-hmm. And the wire twins kind of approach him and start macking on him, you know, r- rubbing yeah. his body, licking his face. And he seems to kind of enjoy it for a while. And then they kind yeah. of burrow their hands under his skin on his chest. Yeah. But with a smooth motion, like you're just reaching into someone's shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and they're sort of rubbing his chest, but under the skin. So obviously rubbing on the raw muscle and... on the Right on the All those meat. nerve endings. No protection. Yeah. Raw dog in it. And he's, he's actually quite into it for a little while. And that freaked me out. That actually made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And still, I lie awake at night thinking of that and going like, ooh. So it was a very effective scene. I think that's, that's very much bad Joe showing his bad side as yeah. as kind of a, a hedonist. He doesn't stay there for long. Soon he realizes that his, uh, his chest skin is loose. He pushes the twins away and tries to escape. But as we know, uh, he was in hell all along. So there's no escape, Joe Thorne. Uh, just more of the same. That's uh, the big reveal at the end is that it's all been this kind of morality play nightmare, almost a... Christmas Carol type of thing. Yeah, it does have that kind of vibe. Yeah, he's he's kind of, you know, this the Scrooge that needs to learn a moral lesson. But interestingly, there is no redemption in the end, even though he learns his lesson. Yeah. He wakes up back in the motel bathroom, back at the beginning, feels very relieved and goes to work and then gets the phone call again. And as soon as he realizes, uh, this has not been solved it's just going to happen over again. Yeah, same stuff. He just caps himself and then wakes up in the bathroom again. Very unhappy. Yeah, classic Groundhog Day. He did get a raw deal considering what Bill Murray got out of his Groundhog Day experience. Yeah, definitely. I wonder like, if that was the start of the film. This guy realizing that he's going to live this awful day over and over again. Yeah. What would... Detective Joe do differently throughout, you know, his his eternal uh, reliving of this day. I wonder if he would do anything differently. Yeah, I think at some point, because he's clearly he has knowledge of what happened uh, on the previous day. So he's expecting things to happen. So at first he would be trying to find ways around it. I think he would try and resist and try and maybe think that there it's a puzzle to solve. Because that's where his mind would naturally go. But I think eventually he would choose to be a Cenobite. I don't know. Can you choose to be a Cenobite? Or do you have to prove yourself? You have to start liking the torture? I'm not entirely sure what their recruitment process is. Yeah, it's 
quite strange. I think you have to respond to an ad in the Daily Mail. Ah. Uh. That's where they where that's yeah. where they advertise. I wonder what the the copy for that ad would look like. Do you like fish hooks? How about them in your skin? If you answered yes, Co- look for our puzzle box. Look for the <laughs> there's only one and it's somewhere. And it'll come to you if uh, if you deserve it. Alternatively, tweet at Pinhead. Like and subscribe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pinhead just <laughs> posting memes all day on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Pinhead. I'm sure he would be a fashion blogger. Oh, yeah, definitely like a, a niche fashion. Because yeah. he got the styles. Yeah, man. His whole look, his whole outfit is sort of the forms a baseline for all of the other Cenobites. A lot of them are wearing similar vestments mm. to him as yeah. they are sort of a, a clerical order. They're wearing these uniforms. Cenobite, uh, the word apparently means member of a monastic order. So that is pretty accurate. So you're saying we have actual Cenobites in our world. Making beer and reading the Bible. And not sexy torturing each other to death over and over again. No bleeding nips there. I I prefer this one, the one we have. (laughs) Me too. The beer is really good. Did you notice the, the fact that the word palindrome came up many times? So many times. They made it kind of obvious that his torment would be like a palindrome. The same going backwards or forwards. It's never ending and it's always repeating the same events. So I thought that was very, very... They made that very clear. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to say about this dude's torment. Because first of all, I don't feel like the crime fits the punishment. But then... Compared to Nicolas Cage and Bad Lieutenant, he wasn't that bad of a cop. He wasn't doing things that were objectively evil. He was doing douchey things, like really not cool stuff. But that so many people do that. It's it's kind of the norm, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure like having your elderly parents with their eyes gouged out try to murder you for eternity is um, exactly the punishment doing some cocaine deserves. Yeah, so Pinhead is still a bit extreme. I mean, Pinhead is nothing if not extreme. Yeah. He's just riding a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> doing kickflips. Listening to some corn. <laughs> Extreme. New metal. I mean... Extreme. The year 2000 would have been the perfect time for a, a pinhead skateboarding crossover film. Yeah, uh, we would all be into it because we were all playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Classic game. I feel like we're trying to avoid talking about mm-hmm. Hellraiser Inferno. Yep. And it's because it's there's not an, a lot in this movie that's not obvious. Yeah, the the morality play thing is literally the only observation I have about this film. Yeah, I had the palindrome thing because that came up often. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This movie would be so much better without the Cenobites because then you would, it would have been a pretty good like investigative cop drama. Yeah, it would have been kind of a seven-y thing. Yeah, yeah, because the murder is quite shocking, right? So people are hung up, uh, strung up by like hooks and chains. And at every crime scene, a child's finger is left. Yeah. And it's like a fresh finger and there are like 
the police are convinced that this child is still alive and they need to save this child. And that's actually what's motivating Joe Thorne to pursue them. Yeah, apparently. Doesn't that kind of make him a moral person that he would be outraged by something so blatantly evil? Yeah, because the kind of the same character in the first film, the one who kind of comes back to life and then has to eat people to get their skins. Yes, he yes. he was a, a truly awful person. Yeah, he was objectively bad. Whereas Joe, I mean, Joe does some stuff that's illegal. Yeah. But as you say, he still cares. He still does his job. And he really is trying to solve this thing. Although, is he is he trying to solve it for the right reasons? Why is Joe trying to solve this mystery? I guess it would come down to basically the, the very reason he loves puzzles. Mm. And I think that's to escape from his terrible people skills. Like the worst people skills. It feels like while we do the show, every cop we encounter in B-movies is inevitably a terrible person. Why is that? Hmm. I wonder. It couldn't be that cops are just terrible people, could it? Yeah, I don't think all cops are terrible people, but there are some terrible cops. True that. There's only one good police officer in this film, and that's Tony Nanonen. My man, Tony Nanonen. Tony Nanonen. That kind of rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? It does. And I only know that Tony Nanonen is a good cop because he, he says, and I quote, You know me, I'm a good cop. Oh, shit. So at that point, it's pretty conclusive that Tony Nanonen is a good cop. Yeah, this was a really lazy movie. I didn't have to think at all because they were like, yeah. okay, this is happening. It was just the characters narrating an hour and a half of wasted time. I mean, there were some moments that kind of caught me. Yeah. The barbed like the wire whip twins. thing. The wire twins. The killing of Tony Nanonen is also pretty pretty yes. dark. And I mean the acting not the best acting but not the worst acting. It's like uh, law and order CSI level acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, 90s TV acting. Yeah. Maybe this movie is a representation of the witch hunts and the inquisition that happened under Catholic rule. Okay. Because the the Cenobites operating as this force for moralistic punishment, mm -hmm. they basically get to decide who is evil and who isn't. So they decide that Joe Thorne is evil, pure evil, and deserves to be tortured for eternity because he can't keep his relationship together, he cheats on his wife, and... He does some coke. Mm -hmm. Does That doesn't... I mean, it's an overreaction in any way you look at it. And in many ways, during the Inquisition, people were tried and executed for practicing herbalism. Basically just... As they should be today. Looking for things that make you feel better. Yes, everyone <laughs> practiced herbalism. But yeah, so they were, they were murdered for that. And yeah. Pinhead is kind of acting like the witch hunters. Yeah, and I think maybe then the, the whole BDSM getup and the bleeding nips and the, uh, the whips and chains and stuff, that might be a way to point to the moral hypocrisy of those kinds of yeah. persecutions where, you know, they kind of pretend that it is this moral judgment, this objective spiritual good or evil and i mean you know pinhead mm -hmm. says to joe you've done this to yourself this is all you when clearly yeah it is pinhead doing it and he's also yeah. clearly taking some kind of sadistic pleasure in it that's like their whole thing 
right? Yeah, that's basically Bennett's whole vibe. So then either the movie's characters are really... or uh, The characters are hypocritic, the Cenobites, but either the movie is making a commentary on it or they just didn't really think it through very well. It's one of those two things. Yeah. I would like to think that the writers were aware of it and mm. they wrote it in as a commentary on any sort of persecution like that it's usually hypocritical. Yeah. Pursuing people for some perceived wrong that they're committing that's not technically wrong in all cultures or across the world. And I mean, they might be wrong, but surely actually helping Joe work through his issues might be a better way to get him off the cocaine, you know? And back to back to his family or, you know, to make at least a decision on staying or leaving yeah maybe he'd buy you know a nice sports car get a young girlfriend yeah be the cool dad but no no um nope that's that's eternity in hell yeah i think the yeah the writers of the film definitely planned that and were just waiting for someone to pick up on it because i didn't see anything about that In the IMDb reviews. Yeah, yeah. In many ways, I am a trailblazer. You are. You're a maverick. You're a real... I'm a maverick. A loose cannon. You have to go give in your gun and badge at the movie <laughs> critics HQ. Oh, shit. I don't like them. I don't I don't like going there. They're so... You soulless bureaucrats! So square. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So, Louis, if you had to rate this movie out of one to a hundred mutilating features on your everyday clothes, mm. how many mutil- self-mutilating features would you willingly undergo to wear something provocative for this film? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd do bleeding nips. I, I give this film... You do two, bleeding nips? Two bleeding nips. <laughs> nice. But uh, are your nips bleeding from like a cut or from runner's nipple? You know, when your shirt just sort of rubs through your nipple skin and they start bleeding? I'm not really sure because Pinhead's nips are bleeding, but he has little nip windows, so it's not from chafing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not from chafing. <laughs> Uh, I think it's from the hooks that he shoved through them. It's probably that, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would give them... Oh, man, I don't think I'm going to give them any any but, like, <laughs> brutal, self-inflicted masochism. Can you uh, imagine us in those tight, like, latex? Uh, <laughs> it would highlight all my bad curves or lacks thereof. <laughs> Oh, man, that would be so funny. Well, someone out there, if you got Photoshop, you know what to do. Shop it up. <laughs> Chop it up. That's what they do in Photoshop, right? Please remember to like and su- subscribe. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your friends about <laughs> Tell your friends about Be Positive, the Positive B Movie Podcast, the only one in the whole wide world. 
Check us out on Twitter, at StayScary. Uh, you can tweet at us. We're very responsive on Twitter. Are we? Yes, yes. Excellent. I mean, I'm very responsive on Twitter. <laughs> hiding behind the name, yeah, Be Positive. I, I don't want to take any credit for that. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm still Louie. Yeah, I'm still Fraser. And you stay scary. Don't put your hooks in the spooky place. I don't oh, know. spooked up. Uh, uh, you know, like so, the very last thing in the film, after the credits, after the yeah. like copyright notice, after everything, it it says <laughs> yeah. "Soli Deo Gloria," yes. as in like to, to, for the sole glory of God. What? Yeah, yeah. But that makes the whole thing about the Catholic Church seem more real. I know, I know. I kept it for yeah. after our credits. Ah, uh, ah. Uh.